Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for being so good, for your love, your mercy, your, your kindness and grace, loving us in spite of us. God, thank you for the many, many prayers that you've answered for this group of people right here. God, we've seen you do so many miracles. God, Freddie sitting right there in that seat is a great miracle, an answered prayer, a, a touch of your hand. Miss, Miss Frieda back there, through all that they went through, God, and Lord, the way you just brought them out, Lord, and, and we see your hand at work, Father, and Mr. John and Mr. Norman, even Miss Uta, God, they're all answered prayers, Lord. We look around this room and we can see the, the goodness, the evidence of your goodness all over our lives, God. I just want to tell you, thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you that we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and obtain mercy, God. And, and Lord, that we can, we can come and talk to you anytime, that there's never a time when your office is closed and never a time and that, that we can't just come and, and lay our burdens out, Father. And Lord, even if it seems a small thing, if it, if it matters enough to us to pray, it matters enough to you to listen. God, I just want to tell you thank you for being so good. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said, <clears throat> amen. <clears throat> well, I got high hopes of having a voice <clears throat> a little more in line by Sunday. I was hoping it would be by now, but I finally broke down and went to a doctor yesterday. But all honesty, that wasn't for me. That wasn't for my voice. That was just for y'all because I knew if I was sick and contagious, I wasn't going to be able to be here tonight. And I don't certainly don't want to risk making anybody else sick, but. It's just a bunch of drainage crud, and he said I probably wasn't contagious, but he said I certainly wouldn't be by tonight. They gave me a shot yesterday. I tried telling him, if y'all just meet me at the door with that shot, we save each other a lot of time. That's the only reason I go, right? You got to go through all them hoops and all that stuff. I just want the shot, man. And so it took me three hours to get the shot, but I got one. But um, <laughs> So at any rate, Galatians chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we left off last week. We were at verse number 10. It, Paul had expressed his disbelief in, in how they have fallen and how fast they've fallen from the truth. He was surprised. He had left them there in good shape. He had told them the truth of the gospel. And he was absolutely shocked that already they had fallen from the truth of the gospel. And they were listening to the things that the Jews were telling them that were, that were wrong. And, and then, then I, I left off there at verse number 10. He asked them the question. He said, for do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. The word persuade there that he uses come, it's a word that means to, to prevail over or, or trying to, to win over. He says, you think that I am trying to please men or do you think it's my desire to please God? And I said, as we were leaving off last week, it seems as though maybe somebody may have questioned Paul's consistency because the way that, that he puts into explaining, you know, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul said in chapter 9, verse number 19, Though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Then he says, unto the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, 
that I might by all means save some, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. What Paul is simply saying is he's trying to meet people where they are. You know, sometimes we just have to meet people where they are. You, you know, it's, it's not our job to, to look down our noses. It's not our job to be holier than thou or to pretend to be something that we're not. We're sinners saved by grace. And, and the bottom line, we're supposed to take the gospel to, to just meet people where they are. And when he said, I, I just try to meet people where they are so that I might gain more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. At no point does Paul ever compromise his integrity. At no point does Paul ever compromise his teachings. At no point does he ever change his teaching. He never changes his message. His message is always the same. It is Christ and it is grace. So we know um, that, that other things they, they may have used against him. I'm, you know you know how it is. The enemy, when they pull up past, pulling up stuff, they try to pull out all the stops. And, and we know that he had Timothy circumcised. Well, circumcision is no longer necessary. It's an event of the law, the Old Testament law, but it is what the Judaizers were pushing. This still had to be done, so they could have said, well, why did you have Timothy circumcised? Well, number one, Timothy is a half-Jew by birth, and because his ministry was going to be there ministering to the Jews, his circumcision had nothing to do with Timothy. It had nothing to do with Paul, and it had nothing to do with salvation. It had everything to do with the Jews. It was so that he might reach the Jews because the Jew wouldn't listen to him. In the case of Titus, he didn't have Titus circumcised, one of his other companions. And they would, you know, well, why wouldn't him? Well, he is a Gentile. So to have him circumcised would have been trying to fit a Jewish law with a Gentile. But just like Timothy was circumcised to be able to reach the Jew, Titus was left uncircumcised, so when they preached to the Gentile, they could understand that salvation is available just like you are, right where you are. You don't have to do anything but come to Christ. So, so he did those things for the sake of, of others. He wasn't breaking any law. He wasn't breaking any law when he had Timothy circumcised. He wasn't breaking any law when he didn't have Titus circumcised. He wasn't changing anything. He, he was just doing something to try to reach other people. So, so Paul's not compromising. He's simply trying to reach everybody for Christ. We know that he is the apostle sent to the Gentiles, but we also know that he has a heart for the Jew. He loves the Jew. He loves Jerusalem. He loves his people, his natural people. So Paul has a heart to reach everybody. He, he is persuading all men. That, that's his life. That, that's his job. That's his calling. It's the same as you and I. It, it is our job, but it is our life. It is our calling to be Christians. It, it, is, it is our life to be living examples that others might see Christ in us. That, that's what we're supposed to do as children of God. So it is, it is Paul's, it's Paul's calling to, to persuade men, but not to please men. Paul said, if I was looking to please men, then I never should have become a minister of the gospel. See, Paul understands that, that popularity and, and preaching don't really go together. Popularity and, let me say, popularity and preaching the truth, th those things don't really go together. You can't stand completely on the things of God and please people. 
You, you, you can't stand firm on the foundation of the word of God and be a, a people pleaser. That, that's not just true for Paul. That, that's true today. That, that's, that's true in, in our lives, certainly, certainly for a preacher, for a pastor, but to be honest, for any Christian, for anybody that deems himself to be a Christian, the greatest harm to Christianity is the ones that claim to be Christians and live like the devil. The, the greatest harm is somebody that, that talks out of one side of their mouth and lives out of the other side. That's one of the greatest harms to Christianity. It's false living. It's fake living. That as Christians, and certainly from, as preachers, we, we, we have to stand against the things of the world. We can't stand with the world, and we can't compromise the things that are in the gospel. We can't compromise what God says, thus it is written. Sin always has to be called sin, no matter who it offends. So we, we, we as Christians, no, no different than Paul, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Somebody say amen, I agree. We, we're, we're, we're all called into the family of God. So we are all to be spreaders of the gospel. Is that good English? Spreaders, is that a word? Hoganese, ain't it? And we, we're to be, to be spreaders. We, we, we have to take a stand against the things of the world. It, 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 it's, it's not a compromise. It's not something we get to decide we're not to do. We, we have to take a stand uh, against drugs. We have to take a stand against alcoholism. We have to take a stand against abortion. We have to take a stand against sodomy, homosexuality. We have to take a stand. Man, you know, the young people would love this. We have to take a stand against sex outside of marriage. It's a sin. It's, it's not a recreation. All the world wants you to think that today. We, we have to take a stand against things like evolution. There can be no evolution and be God. We, we have to take a stand against pornography, things that are corrupting the minds of people in this world. We have to take a stand against all of the sexual activity, all of the garbage, everything that's out there. We cannot compromise anything that God calls sin. And that's what Paul said. He's not compromising anything. He's taking a stand. That's what we're supposed to do. I can't help it if it's a friend. I, I can't help it if it's a, if it's a, a, a fellow church member. I, I can't help it if it's family. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter who's doing it. Wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter who's doing it. We don't get to even pick and choose who it, who it might be against. We are to persuade people, not please people. Paul said, I am persuading men. I said, I, I've never been a people pleaser. He says, I'm still not a people pleaser. See, Paul loves people. I mean, Paul loves people to the extent that he's put his whole life out there for people. He, everything he had in life when he met Christ, he changed everything for the benefit of people. He suffered shipwrecks for the benefit of people. He was beaten thrice for the benefit of people. He was beaten with rods for the benefit of people. He was stoned nearly to death for the benefit of people. He was all that happened for the benefit of preaching the gospel. And he preached the gospel so that people might be saved. Verse number 11 and 12. <clears throat> Can y'all hear me okay? I sound like froggy up here to me. Y'all good with that? I've never heard froggy preach a good message, but y'all hold on. We might ought to record this, put it on. Oh, it is recorded, isn't it? Oh, 
<laughs> maybe, maybe that's not a good idea. Verse 11 and 12, he says, I certify you. And then he calls them brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul makes it clear that there cannot, in, in his life, there will not be any compromise of the gospel. And then he turns to his own past, and we all have one, right? He turns to his own past. He, he knows that his past is no secret, especially with the Jews around. It's not like everybody doesn't know. It's not like the church doesn't know because the church is who he was after. So, so he turns to his past and, and, he, and he uses it to help them understand why he's so passionate now about the gospel. Why he's so passionate about the good news. He said, I certify. That, that, that word comes from word. It means to make known with full certainty. Paul said, I want to assure you that, that what I preach did not come from any other man. What I preach was not something that, that was taught. Paul's salvation experience came on the road to Damascus, and Paul knows that it was nothing but grace. Paul himself is an expert in the law of Moses. He is an expert in all the Pharisaical laws. He is an expert in the Levitical law. He is an expert in the Torah, which is added to the law. Paul is an expert in this stuff. He is a trained rabbi under Gamaliel himself. He is advanced above all of his peers. We'll see it in here. Paul is a very, very intelligent Type A personality man. And, and so Paul says, man, I, I am passionate about it. He said he was a Jew. He is, he is a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knows, uh, he knows the law backwards and forwards. And he doesn't just know the 613 Levitical law. He knows the thousands of laws that the Jew have added to the laws of God. And, and that's, that's the problem. That's why Jesus had such a problem with the Jew, with the Pharisees, with the leader. And I'm not going to get off into all that tonight. That'd be another good message sometime. But the reason Jesus had such a problem with the Jewish elite, with the religious leaders, is because they changed the law of God. They weren't enforcing the Levitical law and the Ten Commandments. They were more enforcing the things that they had added to. On, on Damascus Road, Paul came face to face with the risen Jesus Christ himself, who asked him point blank, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, Saul's a little shook up by it, but he immediately understands. He immediately surrenders. It's obvious that the words cut him to the heart to realize that in all of his zeal here, that he's actually been working against God. He's actually been working under the traditions of men. Paul all of a sudden realizes that, that Judaism actually had made him the enemy of Christ. He was persecuting the Messiah. We, we see his immediate surrender because he called him Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. Lord is a high honor that he gave right there. This is an immediate surrender. Lord, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. See, at that moment, Paul's already saved. There's nothing else to be done. He surrendered everything. He's already called him, him, him Lord. So, so he's saved in and from all of his guilt simply on the grounds of grace. 
Paul, Paul, Paul has not only murdered, killed, beaten, all that he's done to Christians and to the church. He's on his way to Damascus to murder, beat, kill, and arrest other Christians, destroy families, destroy homes, get rid of the church, and stamp out this name Jesus that he can't stand because he's the enemy of the Pharisee. And all of a sudden, Paul realizes, I'm on the wrong team. I, I, I've been climbing the wrong ladder. I'm, I'm on the wrong side of the fence here. And, and all of a sudden, Paul understands that by grace, all things passed away. Sins washed away. All things became new, including his direction for, for his life. Paul says, I did not learn what I know from the teachings of men. No, nobody taught me this. Paul didn't go to Jerusalem hang out with Peter and James there at the Jerusalem church and have them explain the gospel to him. Paul, Paul didn't, he, he didn't go to like Nicodemus and, and talk with Nicodemus and have a conversation about, hey man, that night you talked with Jesus about a man must be born again. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what is it that he's trying to tell? Paul, Paul didn't go to Joseph of Arimathea and, and talk to him to find out about the empty tomb and, and you were there and find out what, what really happened. He didn't go to the other apostles and say, hey, what really happened that night with the Lord's Supper in the upper room there when Jesus was there and, and, and he was betrayed and all that happened. He didn't go to John and say, hey, John, won't you tell me about that night in the garden when Jesus went and prayed and you guys went with him and, and he was arrested. Why, why don't you tell me that? He didn't go to people to learn things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor did he try studying about the gospel of Jesus Christ and learn it on his own because he was against the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was bound in tradition when Jesus Christ stepped in and extended unmerited grace to the chiefest of sinners is what Paul calls himself. See, just like you and I. We, we were bound in our sin. We, we were bound in our chains. We were bound on our way to hell when unmerited grace stepped in and changed everything in our life. Whoo, ain't God good. Man, I, I'm about to get all preaching. Forgot I even had notes. I don't know where I'm supposed to be right about now. Yeah, Paul. Paul. That, that, that's, that's what saved Paul. Grace, unmerited favor, mercy. Paul, Paul understands that, that that's what changed him. It, it wasn't law. It, it, it wasn't works. It wasn't men. It was grace. It, it, it wasn't the law of Moses. It, it was the love of Jesus. It, it wasn't Mount Sinai. It was Mount Calvary. Mount, Mount Sinai is the additional law. Mount Calvary was the addition of mercy and grace. So he, he learns that, that it wasn't to be earned. It's to be received. It's not from trying. It's from trusting. We don't have to try to be a child of God. We just have to trust the one that makes us a child of God. That, that's what Paul learned. And, and he learns it here on the road to Damascus. It's not about rules and religion. It is the undenying, unmerited favor of God. Paul said, that's where I get my doctrine from. That's my, that's my course on hermeneutics. That, that, that's where I, I get my teaching. That, that's why I have such a drive. You know I had a drive as a Pharisee. You, you know how hard I persecuted the church. 
Well, that's why I have a drive because in all of my sin, and all, man, we ought to have something at least similar to Paul. In all of our sin, in all of our shame, and in all of our guilt, just like that, mercy stepped in and grace said it's enough. We, we ought to have the same kind of passion. Paul said, that's why I've got this passion. That, that's why I've got the drive that I have. I'm not here by man. I'm not here to please men. I am here to persuade men that Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is the answer. Verse 13 and 14, he said, You've heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He said, profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Many mine equals, he would have been referring to people basically his age, probably many, he's probably referring to many that would have been maybe his, his classmates, if you will, under the teachings of Gamaliel and, and the, the Pharisaical teachings. Paul, Paul would have probably been voted most likely to succeed, right? He says, above many mine equals, ab above my peers. He, he was known as one of those who excelled in everything. I mean, he, he was out, make no mistakes, he was out to make a name for himself. He was climbing up the, the religious ladder. Paul, Paul says to the Galatians, you, you know exactly who I was. I, I persecuted the church with, with great zeal under the traditions of our fathers, according to the teachings of the Pharisees. I pushed their religions and their religious ceremonies and their religious practices. I pushed those things with a great passion. It was my devotion to their religion that drove me to persecute the church. Therefore, beyond measure, I did persecute the church. Paul said, I was a chief agent of the Sanhedrin. There's many orphans and widows to testify of that. There's many orphans and widows that are orphans and widows because of the Apostle Paul. Because Paul was a ruthless character. He tortured people. You can do one or two things. You can deny this Christ or you can die a martyr. Paul didn't leave options. He tortured people to try to get them to denounce that, that Christ even existed. He said, I profited the Jews. That means I advanced their religion. I, I advanced them greatly. But, but it was their religion that had rejected Christ. And yet I worked to advance that religion. He said, it's Jesus that pointed it out to me. That in all my efforts to climb that, that religious ladder, I had made myself an enemy of the one true Savior. I didn't learn it from people. I didn't get my doctrine from people. So Paul makes it clear. It's nothing but the grace of God and the blood of Jesus that can save a sinner like me. There at the end of 14, he says, more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Paul said, man, I was a fanatic. I, I was fanatical about it. I, I was adamant about it. I, I was hardcore into it. Now, <clears throat> that word zealous, we saw that same word just not so long back when we went through our study in, in the book of Acts. And there in the Acts of the Apostles, you know, that last several, several weeks, really a few months, involved the life of the Apostle Paul. That, that's what we followed. And, and we followed Paul when, when he was arrested there in the temple. You know, one of Paul's great excitements was to go back to Jerusalem, which turned out to be his final trip. Paul was zealous then, but he was zealous about the gospel. He wanted to get back and, and reach the Jews. And we know how basically 
Sorry, but James and, and, the, and the apostles and the Jerusalem church just kind of sold him out. They just really did. They sent him to the temple. The only reason he was there was trying to help those other brethren accomplish something they needed to do. And, and then the Jews come and pull him out and, and, and beat him. And then he goes through several different trials and several different beatings and several different situations. And eventually he's shipped off to, to Rome to stand trial there. At no point do, do we ever read. I can't say that he didn't. But I can say at no point do we ever read that the church came to his defense. At, at no point did, did Peter or James or, 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 did, or did Peter, any of the other local apostles there, stand up beside him and, and try to, to help in, in his defense. <laughs> but the, the Jews, that they, they were zealous to get rid of him. Paul, Paul, if you remember, he told them when he told the church and he got back and he's sharing it with Peter and the apostles. He first got to Jerusalem. And he was sharing about all that God has done. He's talking about how the Gentiles have been saved. He's talking about all the great revivals and all the different towns and, and in Asia and all the places and how God's doing a great work. And Paul's excited. He's enthusiastic. He's telling them about how God is pouring his blessings out and his, his spirit. And the Gentiles are, are coming to Christ and, and the multitudes. And when they heard it in Acts chapter 21, verse 20, said they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousand Jews there are which believe. And they're all zealous of the law. Kind of like throwing water on your fire, ain't it? Well, praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you see some of them old Gentiles getting saved up. But we got thousands of Jews around here that are saved. And, and they're keepers of the law. Kind of sounds like a mixed bag, doesn't it? See, see it's, it's, not, it's not just the law as in God's law, that, that'd be one thing. But the law that they're talking about are all the law that has been added to. I, I was studying. I'll just give you a little, a little abbreviated part. I studied a, a good bit on this and about the Talmud and the Talmud, a, a, lot of, a lot of things. But let me just give it to you. It's easy to understand. The books of Moses, which Moses got five books here in the, in the Word of God. It's called the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. But it is said that, that the five books of Moses can be written in about 350 pages. So if everything was written in, in their Hebrew language, the way that it was done, the entire book should be written about 350 pages. The Talmud, which is basically their additions to the law, takes up 523 books and is printed in 23 volumes. That's how much stuff is added to the law. That, that's how many things that, that they bring in. The, the Talmud is defined as the body of Jewish and civil Jewish civil and ceremonial law and legend compromising the Mishnah and the Gemara. There are two versions of the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, which dates from the 5th century AD, but includes earlier material, and then the earlier Palestinian or Jerusalem Talmud. Basically, it's this worded conglomeration of things that they put together and songs and stories of the Jews and all the things that's there. The rabbis have evolved this book of law that becomes the controlling principle of, of the Jewish people. You know why? Because it gave them all authority. It made them absolute rulers over the people, according to the rabbis and according to their law in there. God gave the written law to Moses, which we know about in here. And God gave the written law on tablets. But according to them, God also gave Moses a 
verbal law, which he gave only to the rabbis, so they're the only ones that know it. So they're the only ones that have it. So they, they put it in their books so that they can enforce it. Now, here, here's just an example of, of the way they added to things. The fourth commandment, that's the Sabbath, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor, do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them there is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, by the time Christ came, that thing has been changed so much that the Jews accused Jesus himself for plucking off a few grains of corn to eat a meal. They, they, have, they, they have put the laws on it so much that you know, we, we do it here and he's alive in the play, that they condemn the Son of God. They condemn Jesus for doing miracles on the Sabbath day. They, they condemn Jesus for setting a man free, bound by, by his chains of, of paralysis, and they condemn him. They, they condemn him for... For healing le leprosy, they, 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 they've taken it a whole nother level. And, and Jesus asked them the question, is it, is it not right to do good? Even, even on the Sabbath day? So they, they've changed everything around. Jesus did what he, you got to know he knew it was a Sabbath day when he did what he did. And he did it on purpose for that confrontation, to create that confrontation, to show them and to show us, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath belongs to me. And, and so that confrontation was, was set up on purpose. Matthew chapter 23, it says in verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do you not after their works, for they say and do not. See, that's, that's what we can't be. That, that's, what a, that's what a person is that says I'm a Christian and lives like a hellion. He, he, said, he said, don't do not do like the Pharisees. Don't do after their works, for they say. He said, you can do what they, what they say, but, but don't do what they do, because they say and they do not. Verse number four, they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be born, and they lay them on men's shoulders. They themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. All their works they do for to be seen of men. They love to make broad their phylacteries. That's the wide things around the base of the, of the garment and around their sleeves. They love to, to make those. That was a sign of money. And it still is in, in Costa Rica and Panama, a place where you still got the natives. that They have their regular robes, if you will, whatever it is they wear. But they're, they're, going, to, they're going to town clothes. If they have any money, it has some stripes on them. And it has... Some, some decorations, and the more decorations is, is more money. And that's what he says here. They love to make themselves look like they're something that they're not. They love to, to dress themselves up and make their phylacteries broad, and they enlarge the borders of their garments, and they love the uppermost rooms of the feast and the, the chief seats in the synagogues and greeting in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, and be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. See, those are all of the preconceived ideas that Paul had been taught when he was Saul. Those are all the things that he knew. Those are all the things that he learned. Those are the things that were swept away on the road to Damascus. 
imagine having all the knowledge that Paul's got and, and all of this knowledge of all their law and all this stuff, and you've got this drive because you hate this name Jesus because it's against what you are only to meet Jesus and realize I've been fighting on the wrong team. Hey, I just, I'm just thankful that, that we found out which team we needed to be on on this side of the grave. People that don't find out they're on the wrong side of the fence till they get to the fence going to be on the wrong side for all of eternity. So, so when Paul, Paul said, said I, I was above my peers, but verse 15, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. There's Paul's confirmation. I didn't go talk to any man. I didn't have to go to the apostles. I, I didn't have to learn this. It is Jesus Christ himself taught me. But, but I, I, you notice something there in that verse? He doesn't say that God separated me on the road to Damascus. He said Paul separated me from where? From my mother's womb. So Saul was Paul in God's eyes before he was ever born. Saul didn't become Paul on the road to Damascus or after that. He already was in God's eyes. You, you know, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he's, God told him, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before he was ever born, before he ever came out, he said, I knew thee and I ordained thee a prophet to the nations. So before, well, that's, that's the same thing. Paul just said, from my mother's womb, from the day I was born, God had already separated me. Now, now remember, we, we mentioned this a lot. God is no respecter of persons. So if God did for one, then God has to do for how many? All. What God does for one, God is available for all. Now, at, at no time does God impose his will over Paul's will. But what he does do is he persuades men, but God doesn't force men. Anybody in here, God forced you to get saved? Anybody in here, God put somebody in your life and between them talking and the nudging of the Holy Spirit, God persuaded you to get saved? See, God persuades men, but, but God doesn't, doesn't force men. He, he convicts a heart, but he doesn't force the man's response. God does impose his will over the hearts of man, but at no point does God force his will over the man's will. See, God wants to be chosen. God, God wants me to serve him because I choose to serve him. God wants me to love him because I choose to love him. God wants me to fight against this flesh and war against sin and battle against because I want to. Because I want to live a holy life. I want to be pleasing to God. Not, not because I'm bound by some law to do, to do so or not even bound by God's authority to do so, but because I love him and, and I want to do it. So, so God wants to be chosen. Now, it, it's hard for us to see some of this on, on our perspective because we, we live in this time sequence. We, we live a life bound by time. Somebody say, Amen. Number one, there ain't near enough of it to get done what I need to do. And number two, I'm glad there's not or we'd kill ourselves trying to get it all done. 
So, so we live in this that, that, that we're bound by, by time. Everything is bound in time. But, but God transcends time. God lives in an eternal present. Does that make sense? The eternal present means the past and the future and the present is all the same. It, it's all the same to God. There is no past. There is no future. There is no time that was or time that will be. Everything is in the present to God. So he doesn't impose his will on a human, but yet he never loses control of human affairs. God already knows things ahead. God said, I am. When he talked to Moses and he said, who do I tell him sent me? He said, I am. God calls himself, I am. From God's standpoint, all events take place at the same time. Romans chapter four, verse 17 Paul said that God calleth those things which be, or God calleth those things which be not as though they were. Genesis chapter 17, where, where God was changing Abram's name to Abraham, he says in verse number four, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. How did God know that? Because God already transcends time. God already sees the nations that he's going to be. God already, how did God give us the book of Revelation? Because God, God's already in Revelation. God, God's already on the other side of the rapture. God's already, God, God already has all things in his grasp. So <coughs> God, God calls what will be as though they already are because to God, they already are. Romans chapter 12, when Paul told us in chapter 2, he said, I mean, chapter 12, verse 2, to, to be not conformed to this world, you know, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove was it good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we know that, there, that there's a perfect will of God, but, but here's reality. Anybody ready? This has got to do with us. God does not force us to do his will any more than he forced Paul, but God does control the events of our lives which allows all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God may not force us to do his will, but God is in control of the events that take place in our life. And the events that take place in our life are the things that force us to make choices. Now, God spoke, could, could speak here. This is the Holy Spirit writing through, through the hand of Paul. And, and so God speaks of Saul in the cradle. See, Everything, I know I've said it a lot of times, but, but it's so true. Everything that has happened in our lives was designed to make us what we are right now. And everything that's going on in our life right now, whether good, bad, upside down, inside out, churning round and round, that all seems so out of place and so out of whack. Everything that is going on in our life right now is to drive us to a series of choices that will get us to where God wants us to be on the other side. So he may not be forcing our choices, but he is allowing the circumstances to force us to make the choices. So, you know, when, um, when, when God had Jochebed hide Moses in the bulrush, God already knew that Moses was going to be the deliverer of his people, right? When, when, God, when God puts things in motion, God already knows things ahead. He already uh, understands what is going to happen. So from the beginning of Saul, 
he already knows that Saul is going to become Paul, which is going to become his ambassador to the Gentile world and the one to write 13 books of the New Testament in the Word of God. He already knows that. So, so the, the same thing is true for us. God has a plan for our life. Many of the things that we've been through, they, they, they force us to do the things that we have to do. So when God speaks of predestination, and that was a word that bothered me for a long time. Anybody ever tried studying predestination? Years ago, man, I was bothered by that word. I couldn't understand it. Somebody posed the question to me and, and tried to put that thought out. Well, predestination means predetermined. Well, you're pretty accurate on that word. Predestination is predetermined. So if, if people are predestined, and it says predestined, then that means God predestined people. And the thought was, that means that God predetermined who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. That's not true. Because the word of God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I couldn't, I couldn't figure that word out. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. But I, I went around asking questions, and I've told you guys before, <coughs> God hid that word from me for a year. And, but it drove me to study in ways that I'd never really studied and in depth and desire and wanted to know. And I learned so much. But I didn't learn what I was looking for. But if I'd ever learned exactly what I was looking for, I would have quit looking. So I learned so much. Well, I'd forgotten all about it. I mean, I went to Brandon. Brandon was pastor at the time. I sat down and talked to Brandon. Brandon's like, I don't know, man. I mean, we, we never could make no sense out of nothing we're trying to figure out. I was in Costa Rica with Ray Ham on a mission trip. I go in there and, I'm, and I, we, Ray puts me in his room and the little cottage next door at the Bronco Lodge is there where we stay. And Marty Houston and some others was over in the room next door. And man, I kept Ray up half the night. I had questions. I wanted to know and, and Ray couldn't answer none of my questions. Next morning we walk out and he says, Houston, get your bags, put them in the room. Yancey, get your bags, put them under there. Marty said, for what? He said, man, that sucker asked questions you ain't got no answers to. I got to get him out of my room. And then it, it, it's a year or two later, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God helps me understand predestination. It is a predetermined, but it's not predetermined that God made somebody's choice that they go to hell. God loved them so much, it's not God's will that any man should perish. So we know that it's God's will that none should perish. He tells us that in his book. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So we know that's God's will. So what God does is God puts things in motion and God puts things in our life and he allows things to happen. And it's those things that drive us to make choices. And what he's trying to do is drive us to make the choice to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. But everybody's not going to. But then God already knows that. Because God's already on the other side of all this. So God already knows who made bad choices and who made good choices. So, so God does already know who's in hell. And he already knows who's going to hell, but God ain't going to send them there. They're going to send their self there. Because God's going to create every situation and every opportunity that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and their choices are their own demise. Getting saved does not change that. God still works in our lives to shape us into the image of Christ. Can anybody honestly say, thank God, I am not like what I was the day I got saved. I mean, we, we are different, right? But we're not what we're going to be. We're, we're, I hate to use the word better, but I don't know how to say it. We're better than we were. 
We're, we're better people. We're better neighbors. We're better Christians. We're, 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 we're better servants but because we've learned, but we're not where we're going. We haven't arrived anywhere. We've still got to go through some more choices. We've still got to go through some more trials because we've got to get shaped into what God wants us to be. God's brought us to here, but this ain't the finished product. And, and, and Paul, Paul is not exact. Paul, Paul says, I, I learned on the road to Damascus. No man taught me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, no man taught me about grace. It was grace that met me when I was on my way to persecute the church of God and to kill those who called themselves Christians and to drive out the name of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ himself met me in love and grace wiped away all my sins. Paul says, that's my testimony. That's what it's all about. So God will do everything he can to persuade us, but God's not going to force us. He doesn't force our decisions. He wants us to choose to follow him. We, 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 we like Paul, if Jeremiah, if God knew Jeremiah before formed in the belly, and if Paul was set apart, set apart, that, that is, that he was separated for a purpose, and if that was true for them, then that's true for you and I. God already had a purpose. The, the day that you and I accepted Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, that got us on the right track. We were on the wrong track till then. But that got us on the wrong track. So we're on the right track now. We just still got to keep making good choices to get to where it is that God wants to take us so that God can accomplish all the things that he plans to accomplish. But he, he plans to accomplish it through us. It is God's plan to reach the world, but God works through people. Well... Lord willing, we're going to pick up right there next week. You got, you don't have a lot of extra considering we didn't get to sing. I used that time right on up. I guess I had a little more prepared than I thought. I thought I had about 20 minutes, but I guess that's why we get out at 1 o'clock on Sundays. Yeah, I'm teasing. I want credit. We've been out. I've been through for 12 o'clock, two weeks in a row. Anybody notice? Did you really? Oh, I'm disappointed. I shouldn't say nothing about it. God, thank you so much. God, thank you that we are family. God, thank you that we can just come together in love and, Lord, in laughter and fellowship. Thank you, God, that we can hold up one another's burdens and, and pray for one another. And, Lord, we can cry together and, and laugh together and, and live together, God, now and for, for all of eternity, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness that you've shown us, Lord. I ask you to go with everybody, every family represented in this place, God. Will you keep a hedge of protection around us, Lord, as we go out? Will you use our bodies for your glory, God? Will you help us, Father, that, that souls would be saved, that the kingdom would be added to, that the family might grow? Lord, we love you, Father. You've been so good to us. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.